The Bizzle. We call it the Jesse James. Jesse, a.k.a. The Bizzle. Yo, The Bizzle, thank you. <laughs> the Bizzle? Thank you, The Bizzle. Yeah. The Bizzle. All right, ladies and gentlemen, Marvel's Netflix, The Defenders, Episode 3, Worst Behavior. What an amazing end to the last one. With Iron Fist punching Luke Cage in the face across the screen, and then uh, Matt Murdock saying, Jessica Jones, shut up, I'm your attorney. Both of those things end up getting resolved differently, but it was a great way to end it. I wasn't sure if the famous apartment building fight scene, which was teased heavily, to say the least, in the trailers, uh, was in episode two or episode three it is in this episode indeed and they build up to it now i cheated a little bit which was i wasn't going to rewatch any of the series before doing the commentary however i i started to doubt my own memories that there was nearly as much wrong with this series as i thought and so i watched some of the middle episodes of this series although i haven't gotten all the way to the end i'm gonna save that for you guys Right, she's referencing Constantinople about how old she is. Uh, the thing is, the Fountain of Youth is never as interesting as it seems, and they hit it too hard on, on the nose. Sigourney Weaver is a master actor and does everything she can. But when we see Stick uh, in the next few episodes, you'll see why an actor who is, you know, not nearly as established or famous as uh, Sigourney Weaver, who's killing it here, just eating things and excited about her Turkish dessert that reminds her of the good old days of thousand years ago, actually fits better in this motif. But guys, I'm here to tell you that Sigourney Weaver is much better than I remembered. She's in much less of the series than I remembered. This series moves along much faster than I remembered. Here's White Hat, who we heard about with Luke Cage's project. And... I can't believe how much they got in episode eight. So uh, this looking back now, having seen this a couple times and now doing commentary, the first like 14 minutes or so here where it's the whole black sky rejuvenation and the mysticism and magic and the dark, you know, black magic. And we're bringing Elodie young back to life. Electra is the black sky and they're explaining it and she's a zombie and blah, 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 blah. It takes forever. I mean, it's literally like a third of the episode. But my recollection was this episode represented the... This is me watching the first time. Was This episode represents the best, but also things I had the most problem with, with the Defenders miniseries, which is the second two-thirds of this episode with them coming together and then fighting in the tower and the Chinese restaurant coming up, following the, leading into the next episode is what makes this so special, even better than the Avengers, which teases the shawarma, but they really do it with the Chinese. Oh my God, Elodie Young, she's so stunning. What a skin tone, what a cheek structure. Um, however, this is actually the by far longest period of overly drawn out uh, exposition that's not exposition. 
Like, this is supposed to be character building between her and Elodie Young's character, Electra, reborn as the Black Sky, but we never understand why she's obsessed with her. We never understand why Alexandra thinks the Black Sky in general is a great idea. We never understand why Alexandra thinks Elodie Young's Electra, in particular, uh, coming back to life as the Black Sky is a great idea. These candle shots with the New Age music doesn't work. And this it actually is not represented at all in what's going forward. And I think I suffered from hearing negative reviews as always. That's why I avoid reviews of, you know, there being too much of this in The Defenders. But bottom line is, guys, I, I, you know... Having rewatched into episode seven, at least, if not all the way to the end, because I want to save the final episode with you guys. Uh, I've only seen it once, and I'm not going to see it again until I watch it with y'all. Uh, there's actually very little of this. And what's great is, I didn't appreciate the first time, is how quickly she goes from brainwashed zombie Terminator to questioning her own past. It starts immediately here, God, she's stunning, uh, when she confronts. Matt Murdock, she doesn't kill him here. She has another chance in an episode or two to kill him, doesn't kill him there, and it starts throwing a chink in everyone's plans. The problem is, this looks exactly like Arrow Season 3, with Thea being reborn in the Lazarus Pit, and fucking Ra's al Ghul. The colors are the same, everything. Sorry, my chair's getting a little squeaky. I got a new setup here. Yeah, I remember thinking this was when they were going to go to the theme music. They thought this was really important to do like a really long extended opening for this one about the rebirth of Electra, but it really doesn't add anything. Well, it only adds stuff to Elodie Young's character because she's an unbelievably spectacular, phenomenal, unmatched actress, physicality, what she's doing. She could literally do anything. She's like an orc. She's like an Urukai being reborn. And uh, the connection ends up being that uh, once the uh, you know immortal or semi-immortal Alexandra here tried to have a daughter, and the daughter died fairly young, at least in her view of the universe. And she considered her weak and not her true daughter, and she considers this her true daughter, because she's going to live forever and be the assassin and the immortal that even she could never be. But... I am all about sold perfor- perf- sold through performance. You guys know that that's the case, but the writing just doesn't doesn't get there. And ultimately, the ride from post this extended long fourteen minute long scene or whatever it is it is a straight roller coaster ride to the end. And just seeing Elodie Young just kill it here with the physical performance, like she's like Gollum, she's like um, oh god, what does this remind me of? You know, this is your home now. Is look at her. I mean, you can barely even recognize her. And you know the tenuous hold they have on immortality. Up oh, here's Alexandra beating her up. Oh, she's barely alive. You know the tenuous hold on immortality is interesting because it's real, unlike Orphan Black, where it was just a hoax in the final season which worked and was interesting in its own case. Um, they're acting, they're asking Elodie to go basically full method here for a young actress with not a lot of credits or experience is extremely hard. And, you know, she loves her because she's beautiful and you know, her, her physical potential. She doesn't like the way she didn't even love her own daughter. 
the way she's eating, stuffing her face here, language will come back to you, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but it's nowhere near as effective as Gollum or, or, or things like that. And, you know, I, I think what is ultimately metaphysically interesting is the way that Alexandra talks about, I think in this episode, maybe a couple times or more, going into the black because they do die and then they're reborn. They are truly dead and then are reborn. And they, their experience of the afterlife is of the thing that we all fear, whether you believe in God or not, whether you believe in heaven or not, that there is just pure nothingness. It's just blackness and emptiness and, you know, horrible vacuum of, you know, of nothingness beyond the grave. Maybe not everyone fears it, but a lot of people do. Even people who don't believe in God in heaven. And that's her great fear. And that does help sell the character. And those are subtleties you see on the second watching. And I remember watching the show going, uh, there's so much going on in these eight episodes. There's so many characters, so much mythology. Most of these superheroes I've never visited before, especially before the Netflix series. Even Jessica Jones is like my favorite. Um, and hoping on repeat watchings, I would get things. And you know what? I'm getting stuff on the rewatches. And one of them is the metaphysical horror of death. And if anything, they don't stress enough of that Matt Murdock, although religious and claiming to believe in God and claiming to be a religious man, nevertheless seems to be somewhat nihilistic in terms of, well, not nihilistic, but is somewhat cynical in terms of the reclamation of the human soul and that God is not to judge, that he will judge the bad people and kill them or put them in jail or whatever, take them out. If you're truly religious, God should be the one to judge. So, from an artistic standpoint, and when you have Sigourney Weaver, who's a legend and stunning, and when you have Elodie Young, who I think will be a legend based on her performance so far in the Netflix series, The Black Sky, here it is, building the mythology, these two actresses. I mean, I think Elodie Young was just so intimidated. Uh, The fact that Elodie Young does not overact more being around and and feeling like she needs to impress, like we all would, someone like Sigourney Weaver, is a credit to her confidence uh, in herself. Look at that face. I mean, she looks similar and dresses similar and has the same colors as Nissa Al Ghul in Arab, but Nissa Al Ghul is so much more appealing in, in so many ways. And while I complained about her being a Terminator, the fact that by the end of this episode, episode three of eight, we're already questioning whether the transformation has worked. And they're questioning Alexandra because she's weakened by her love for Matt Murdock, which she clearly still remembers having been dead and come back to life. And so if I'm going to get philosophical during this, you know, Matrix training scene here. I would have to say that I do not believe that any of the five hand members, including the four that are alive and the one that's dead, the other four that we will see, including Alexandra and Madame Gao, uh, that they are truly 100% dead when they see the blackness and then are come back to life. I, I, I don't think the writers are specifically trying to give us that sort of hopeful message that there is something more beautiful beyond the grave, but I don't think they could have brought her back if she was a thousand percent dead spiritually religiously theologically physically mentally emotionally etc and the fact that they can't heal her body just shows that you can't heal her body but you can bring her back spiritually from the dead i think we're meant to question 
Now, Orphan Black being a political social commentary, and just do a great character study, it being a hoax about the, you know, Fountain of Youth works for them. But revisiting this now after seeing Orphan Black, and you see the screen swipes, which is very Matrix in Star Wars, which is fantastic. I mean, this is the love story, right? This is the twisted mother-daughter love story. And this does bring attention to something that does disturb me about parenthood. And most parents are amazing, and parents are heroes when they raise their kids right. And so I never really truly question it. But there is something about why do so few people adopt when it's so clearly the correct thing to do and you can raise the child as your own and they will be your own in every important way, spreading your genetic, you know, self. Oh, here's the killing. This is it. They bring in all these ninjas. They say she's ready just to kill all these guys, which is great. That's the thing, guys. And this is why I love Ultron, specifically for things like this. When you rewatch, that's weird on first watching or two. And just this super fun as it goes along. And she killed them all. Dead. Boom. She barely is even covered in blood. Which is that she tried to procreate herself. She talks about her daughter, Alexandra's daughter. She's almost crying as Sigourney Weaver. God, she's killing it. I'm sorry, Sigourney. I love you. I didn't mean to criticize you. It's the writing's problem, but you're still doing a great job. But this is what she really wants in a daughter. She wants her to be the, her spiritual successor. This is the answer. What's the answer? What is the answer? Oh, her uniform. Which happens to match Daredevil perfectly. Spoiler alert. But I think that's the Electra outfit, right? And so that reminds her of the old days. Okay, here we go. D music. 1313. Wow. Wow. It's exactly 1313. Uh, look at the new Daredevil trailer, guys. And check out 1313. Um, I don't think it's a coincidence. Now, here we go. So my dad apparently claims he hasn't seen this before, which seems impossible. So I think he's watching right now. So hopefully this won't shut me off. Obviously, I'm watching the intro because I love it and because I need you guys to be on time with me. There's Jessica in the blue. Beautiful. There's Luke in the yellow-orange. Lady Young. Rosaria Dawson. God bless her. I think it was smart to go just straight up Matrix uh, with this intro and not try and outshine these outshine musically these solo shows um, because it is about them coming together and not creating a new property, you know? And the fact that the Avengers music is more famous than any of the music for any of the individual characters, other than maybe some cat music, uh, you know, just shows that just Whedon created a major problem by making the team up so much more profitable and so much more fun and cooler with the Avengers and they're still having problems with the solo movies unless you're Black Panther more Lodi Young right they're still here man in the white hat who we've heard about right now we're to to today so you know, first time through, that was really painful because it was predictable and didn't seem to be teaching me anything. But as you get the character studies going here, stick, it does provide some insight into the dark, twisted mind of Alexandra. Not doing the torture song and dance. I think she hits him in a second. Danny 
He's a real handful. Uh huh. There are a lot of hand jokes about Teddy Rand. Right, he says he spent the rest of the days looking over his shoulders. He's daring her to go after the Iron Fist. He's claiming she's ever going to catch him. She has many chances to catch him, but he's daring her to do it. And Stick being a influencer and manipulator of both sides going forward is one of the best parts of the show. They should kill him right now. It's so stupid they keep him alive. Oh my god, she's so stunning. Look at that jaw structure. Look at that fucking skin tone of those eyes. As I was trying to say in an early episode when she briefly appeared, in real life she's adorable. She wears like bright green dresses and her hair in a very, you know, like puff, you know, like kind of, she's... Scorning Weaver so convincing here holding the sword, these two. God, Elodie Young must have just been an absolutely happy. I mean, as guys, I mean, that's the thing. I think Sigourney Weaver is the badass, even more than Sarah Connor or, you know, Princess Leia. Sigourney Weaver is the badass female sci fi character that even the most hardened, you know, male chauvinist guys likes. Uh, like, uh, chauvinist guys like it's Sigourney Weaver from Aliens and, you know. Uh, other movies um oh he did hit her uh but as a woman playing this role it must have just been so surreal on so many levels it kind of puts a Lodi young in a tough position uh, giving her a character that's one and a half dimensional that they mean to make three-dimensional her temper gets the best of her they fuck up he cuts off his own hand to escape boom he's gone little man <laughs> little blind man yeah <laughs> But, he, you know, he ends up winning for everything. Oh, here we go. Yes. This is great. Yep. So, again, first watching, in the last episode, you're like, oh, he's going to represent Jessica Jones. She kicks him out within two minutes, and you're like, okay, that was just a misleading scene to put in the trailer to make us excited. Nope. We had to have them familiar with each other and learn some stuff about one another, even though they're not in the way they expected or planned or hoped or expected. That was a bad joke, sorry. Barely. <laughs> no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she'd rather have a Hogarth. <laughs> it's bizarre to see Jessica so relatively calm. She's insulting him, but she's, she has an inner peace to her that... No, no, the drill. Oh, God, she's so... She's so stunning. Just all around. Look at her. I mean, there's an embarrassment of riches. There's an embarrassment of riches. You know, they could have carried this entire eight eps... Uh oh, Kilgrave! I'm going to strangle your motherfucking shit. There's these two could have carried it. I thought that's what was going to happen with a, a, a smattering, a, a sprinkle of Luke Cage and Iron Fist. But God, are those two good together? Yep. So here's what's great: we have to build up Jessica so that she's forced into a situation where she has to work with these guys and then pulls a Jessica and says, fuck you. I don't want anything to do with it. And then is forced back with the guys after she told him to go fuck off, but still maintains her independence 
And look at, yeah, he so that did not go how Matt Burdock was expecting. That was the thing I was most looking forward to about this. And, uh, you know, as I talk about with movies and TV shows that I rewatch that I love, you know, from Ultron to Battlestar, even if it's a movie or a show of many, many, many great moments, on rewatches, the plot twists are less interesting in the little character moments like we just saw. The humor and, and the performances is what keeps me going. And... I think this is a masterwork. Honestly, this is my third time through right now. And even that 13 minute and 13 second long scene with the the birth, the the evil dark magic rebirth of Elektra was shot really well. Okay. So one of the things I didn't get in the first few episodes, having not seen it since I, you know, originally aired was that I kept crediting different characters with being the ones to discover what's going on. But what they do is all four characters discover what's going on. I got clocked. Yeah. By the iron fist. <laughs> She's like, what? Oh yeah. <laughs> but they all end up in the tower at the end of this because of their own journeys in their own worlds, using their own methods and means. Okay, so Mia Coppola, I didn't watch Iron Fist season one. She not only knows Colleen and Iron Fist, but she's been to China and knows them well, and they trust her. She, you know, they clearly, she, you know, she has to be the one to bring them all together, and she does it multiple times. Here we go. <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, look at these two women. These are four of the most beautiful people on the planet, and Finn Jones is on the bottom, and he's still an extremely good-looking guy. I like that. He goes, I can answer myself, but it's not a like over, you know, hyper masculine, like shut up, bitch. It's like he normally wants her to talk for him because she's smarter and better. But in this case, it's very personal. He wants to answer. It's, he's asking permission. It's great. These two men respect these two women so much. Oh my God. She's so stunning. Oh, Colleen. So, you know, if you want to just blame Star Wars for empowering the women, uh, sorry guys, this is also happening on Netflix because between Misty, Claire, Colleen, Trish, and you know, <laughs> right? This is the Han Solo, all the empowered female characters. What I'm saying is, I love you. Know, I love it. God damn it! This is so cinematic. You're on the same side. They showed so much of this in the early trailers. They showed so much of the coolness of the first four episodes. And I truly believe in this. I believe in this. Show your best hand in the first third to half of the movie. And then just crush us with awesomeness in the second half. The problem is part of what makes this second four episodes great is very subtle things that don't work great in trailers. But on rewatches are some of the best parts like Jessica and Daredevil in uh, episode six. We'll get there. So it just has to come through a personal standpoint with the PR. Um, this woman drives her to find them in the tower later in the investigation and then leaves her to leave because she thinks she's meant to just protect, you know, people like this and then realizing it's part of a much, 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 much bigger conspiracy and war until she comes back. 
I do love though that it's it seems like a love fest when Iron Fist, it, even though Iron Fist and Luke Cage just punch the shit at each other, it seems like a love fest. But they're about to really alienate each other. But Iron Fist is then the one to be like, maybe he's right what he's saying, and we need each other. And what he's saying about my privilege is right. I mean, Danny and 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 Claire Temple is going to say this in a couple episodes when they're under protection with Misty, which is that, and I've been saying this, but Claire Temple says it better than I ever could until we'll get there. But basically, Claire Temple basically says, you know, you're, Claire Temple says to Colleen, you know, you're the foundation and the steadying point for Iron Fist. Look at Jessica Jones crying. We never see JJ crying. She's really getting affected. She's starting to feel real human feelings again. I want to help people. But she wants to help individual people not get caught up in this bigger conspiracy. When she realized it's inextricably linked, she has no choice but to join them. And it was important that one of them rejects what's coming up. Matt Murdock tries to, ends up giving his identity. She really leaves and then comes back. Um, but, uh, oh, does she just bounce here? But what's great is it seems like it's going to be a love fest because we know that Luke Cage and the immortal Iron Fist are a huge thing of the comic going back many years and they tease it to us and then they fight like, you know, verbally, uh, but then they become buddies again, which is so, it's so great because they're so different on the surface, but deep down they just want to do the right thing. Matt Murdock and Jessica Jones are way more disturbed mentally, emotionally and spiritually than Luke Cage and Iron Fist. You know, I mean, Danny Rand might be a rich white kid, you know, from New York who happened to fight a dragon in China and get an Iron Fist. And Luke Cage might happen to just be a brawler with bulletproof skin from the projects in, you know, the Bronx or whatever. But they are kind of the same person deep down. And they connect on that um, later on. And that's ultimately why it was important to connect JJ with Daredevil. Not because we know that they're the two leads and that's how it was going to be, but because they are the two emotionally complicated characters. And that is why I was ultimately interested from the beginning in Daredevil Jessica Jones over Iron Fist and Luke Cage's individual series. It turns out that their series, at least first season, mostly were better written. Um, although, you know, I know a lot of people like Luke Cage and that's cool. I've seen some of Luke Cage and it's very interesting. But, you know, Mike Coulter and Finn Jones are just not nearly as dimensional on purpose as the extremely disturbed and dark characters portrayed by Charlie Cox and Matt Murdock. And up oh, here's Jessica Jones portrayed by Kristen Ritter feeling like she's being followed. And she determines that this blind guy is not so blind, takes some pictures and puts together. He's the devils of hell, uh, the devil of hell's kitchen. This was important that not just is Jessica a great brawler and incredibly brilliant mind, but that she could lose him and be following him when he thinks he's following her with his unbelievably supersonic and subsonic skills. He completely lost her. He's completely lost Jessica Jones. She's now behind him. She's on to him. She had no reason to think that he'd be the guy. She has no evidence that Matt Murdock is Daredevil until now. And now he's just trying to run and get out of the way. And she's totally on to him. And he smashes the camera. It's great. It's great. But they... <laughs> What's brilliant is... What I was worried about was that Jessica would let Matt be the leader because he's the ego and he's the male and blah, blah, blah. But she was really the smartest and the best at everything. But uh, he needs to escape here. Oh, no, he, she does get some pictures. 
but Matt Murdock ultimately has the <laughs> most intense personal journey because of Electra and and uh, and Stick and so forth. How does he not hear her? Or maybe he's just scared. I think he's just scared. He's he he's threatened to the point of thinking that he's lost her and now someone more threatening. Yep, there he goes. Yeah, <laughs> taking those pictures. Jessica Jones, my girl, my superhero, my hero. I say it, my hero, Jessica Jones. She's my hero. Oh, here, and Asher. <laughs> here she goes in her her ditzy voice. Oh, hi, this is her. <laughs> oh, this is when she starts seducing the architecture guy to get info on the uh, the hands, you know. Buying up giant buildings to blow them up plant. <laughs> here we go. Right. You think they're going to just be buddies here. They bond for a minute and then the egos come through. Right. Claire said they didn't experiment on you. Long story. Right. Is What kind of long story? What kind of experiments? Oh, it was a voluntary experiments. Right. Again, I don't know the full Iron Fist and Luke Cage stories, but who cares? That's what's brilliant about this. I was a deep dive daredevil and JJ, not these two. And I still was as into this relationship as the other two. She, right. This is the whole Han Solo, you know, uh, you know, hocus pocus, the thing. There's a direct line here from where he's still taking himself too seriously and calling himself the immortal iron fist and everyone understands Chi and I'm the best, blah, blah, blah. And he's imprisoned by his friends for his own sake. Right? They're laughing like, ha, 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 it's going well. They're going to get along. Um, but when you really think they're never going to be friends again down the line, when they have to imprison Iron Fist against his will for his own good, Luke Cage lowers his guard because he feels bad. And then he realizes he's telling the truth and they have a lot in common. I just couldn't... <laughs> You know, I talk about, I love the Pitch Perfect movies, as you guys know. I have done the Pitch Perfect commentaries. I got more coming. Um, but between Anna Kendrick and Brittany Snow, as the two you know, beautiful, adorable, all-American, spectacular, sexy, talented, hilarious leads, it's hard to pay attention sometimes. It, I feel that way with Claire Temple and, and Colleen. You know, they're so stunning, just as human beings. And the women are keeping the men in line. But this is exactly the way you do it as to not alienate the male audience. And this is the problem that Star Wars had with Last Jedi was Ryan Johnson was not specifically trying to, as I've said, make all the women the bosses and make all the women seem dumb or all the men seem dumb or incompetent or, right, now they're going at each other here, the mystical stuff, everything else. His, his American accent's great, by the way. I've heard a lot of <laughs> bad American accents by English people since this. It's it's impressive. I, I forget that he's putting it on. Bravo, Vin Jones. Um, oh, here's the one. Um, Ryan Johnson was not intending to make all the women be the bosses at the expense of men ever being bosses, but that's exactly how it came off in Last Jedi. And I'm sorry for you women and men out there who love Last Jedi, but it's problematic. It's more problematic than Leia in the slave outfit because ultimately Leia is still the boss both in that extended Jabba scene 
the linchpin to that plan with Luke Skywalker and the linchpin of the entire Star Wars series, Finn and Poe and Luke to until the end are completely interchangeable, make dumb decisions and have no clue what they're doing. And you know what? That is how men are in real life. But if you're trying to get a female audience and not lose your male audience, you have to be conscious. And these are two of the strongest female personalities in real life that are in Hollywood and also on screen in Marvel. But they compliment their men. They're never condescending to them. They're not like, you fucked up. Like, why are you guys being such macho men? Blah, 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 blah. Colleen's like, we need him. And Claire's like, we need them. You know? Like, it's always, it's just, they want them to get along so they can get stuff done because they're the ones with superpowers. And that's why you need Jessica Jones as well. Because Jessica Jones treats her male and female friends the way that traditionally male superheroes treat their love interests and, you know weaker or you know other female friends i gotta protect you i don't want to hurt you blah, blah 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 okay here we go this is great this is an amazing plot twist i'm not gonna say it's amazing but in retrospect this gets better with each washing and the fact that i caught on on my first rewatch i think in episode one that this kid was working for the hand having not seen this for a long time shows the the excellent um uh stringing along of the narrative yeah as you say they're extremely dangerous and luke says so am i this guy's great so here's what's gonna happen he knows he's gonna die he knows his mom's in trouble and he says you want to help me but really what he's doing is trying to help his mom and help the cause because he's about to die because he's in jail and there's no way they're going to let this guy alive in jail working for the people he's working for. He discovers a secret stash. He gets executed. He can't say what he wants to say. Mm-hmm. Yep. There's a few Red Herring episodes early in JJ, actually, that point to something like this that actually leads to nothing. I like that this leads to something, specifically Luke getting onto the scene. Oh, my God. Looks like it made quite an impression. It says Colleen. <laughs> yeah, tear down the building. So... I didn't watch Iron Fist. I assumed they were romantic. And then I saw this. I'm like, oh, they're not romantic. And I'm watching Iron Fist season two and they're kissing. So I have no idea what's going on with these two. And you know what? I like that. But what's great is Colleen seems like, again, having not seen Iron Fist, knowing a little about these characters, really connecting already in episode three with these two and their relationship with each other, with the hand, with Claire, their sort of romantics mixed with brother and sister thing. I'm totally buying in. I'm totally getting the vibe. And it seems like she's always going to be the strong one. And, and this is, I, I made a comment, an offhand comment of like, oh, why did Kelly Marie Tran as Rose get, you know, get so hated, but everyone lo- loves or is okay with Colleen. But the difference between Colleen and Danny and Rose and Finn is that Rose and Finn, Rose is always right. Finn is always wrong. Rose is better at everything. Finn is an accidental hero. Um, Finn doesn't really do anything but fuck up. And Rose fucks up too, just because she's following Finn with misguided hero worship. 
the difference is these two really respect one another strengths and weaknesses but the brief but very affecting emotional breakdown that's coming in a few episodes with colleen that of course claire temple god bless rosario dawson walks through you know walks her through and makes her realize she's the i was gonna say earlier was you know rosario basically says you're the foundation of the iron fist even if you're not the iron fist but she basically is saying you're the foundation of the defenders which exactly turns out to be true and is clear from the beginning and these filmmakers from the writers to the directors nailed it she seems like the sidekick (laughs) you need help spelling that i love her i love her i love her i used to think chloe bennett was like the one you know, but <laughs> Chloe Bennett's a mess, and sorry, Jessica Henwick is just, I can't, I'm having trouble, guys, I'm having a Britney Snow moment here with Jessica Henwick. And like Brittany Snow, as stunning as they are, one being a redhead with blue eyes or green eyes, and one being a gorgeous Chinese young woman, they both have very, like, rosy cheeks and kind of, you know, normal human-looking faces. To me, that is attractive. I don't want my women looking like statues. I'm not into statues. I'm into people. She is a... She is probably the most fully formed person... In this entire show, that's not Rosario Dawson, a.k.a. Claire Temple, which is why they get along so well, and they are the two rocks of what's going on. What's great about Claire Temple is she's constantly just trying to get the guys to get along because she wants results, and Jessica Jones is definitely one of the guys. Nope. Another way to attack, he says. Oh, this is a long episode. Okay, this is like a 55-minute. Here we go. Here we go. <laughs> I'm super into that. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, she's so great. Communal workspace. <laughs> the bouncy balls. Oh, she's so manipulative. Uh-huh. I'm pragmatic. He's be, oh my god. Can I quote that? That's the thing. The problem is even smart, well-adjusted males cannot resist this. And because of her escaping from Kilgrave, she's actually able to pull this off way more convincingly in person. She was great at doing this on the phone, but now with her clothes and her hair, she's got the like Laurel Land CW hair, you know, the Supergirl hair. You know, she's still disturbed and traumatized, but she's back to being a woman and using her womanly wiles and powers. I'm the face of discretion. (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, John Raymond, there it is. Right, so she gets it through the PI here. I mean, to get all four defenders in the major first confrontation in the same place at the same time for different reasons is almost impossible to pull off. I can't imagine. I mean, the Avengers is not nearly this clean. It's way sloppier. But you're dealing with gods and hulks. 
they really had to come up with a convincing there's your giant samsung phone uh they really had to come up with a convincing way for all four of them to discover it on their in their own ways in their own terms and their own means as i was saying and i think they nail it they absolutely nail it oh uh, yeah this is gonna get really sad in a sec Meet mm, meet son. Yeah, she believes in the holiness of his power, <sighs> and that's ultimately why we got to see Iron Fist and Luke Cage be superheroes together because they're the two who want to help people using their powers. There's a great line coming up, which says, you're the opposite of my son, where he never takes blame for anything he's done wrong, and you never take credit for anything you're doing right. She's so familiar. Yeah. I've been wrong before about my son. She looks super familiar. Mm-hmm. Except to pray. Yeah. I believe in the power of prayer. My mother, my father made sure of it. God, Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. And that's what you can do with eight episodes is get this plot moving super fast. I think it was a good decision. Honestly, the more I watch this, the more I think eight episodes was the right decision. Right. You're the opposite from my son. You can't admit when he's done something wrong. You can't admit when you've done something right. Yeah. The writing on this is, is spot on. Spot on. I, I'm not going to say this is better than Daredevil Season 1 and or 2, but in terms of the relative smoothness of the flow i would put this after punisher and jessica jones and right up there with daredevil one and or two depending how you see it um getting straight to the point you know the biggest masturbation artistic masturbation is the aforementioned 13 minute 13 second rebirth of electra but even then they get a lot of interesting things going in even if it's ultimately irrelevant, predictable, and, you know, we've seen it before kind of thing. So, The Defender says a 7.5 out of 10 on IMDb, which for a TV show is not great. It's not horrible. It's not great. But when you look at the individual reviews, after the first episode, it goes 8, 9, 8.6, 8.2, 8.5, 8.1, 8.4, which is pretty damn good. You know, people think this is the best episode because the tower fight. I think the last episode is right up there. Right. Here's the money. Eh. He's dead. She's going to start screaming. I'll try and get away from the mic. This poor woman. They're gonna kill the poor woman. So other than that, the only hysterical crying the series comes briefly from Colleen, which is a great scene with Claire Temple, as I teased. And of course, you know, the the evil rebirth of Electra. Oh my god. I mean, the fact that they make 
calling the fifth defender without saying it is is awesome. It's awesome. I mean, the only time, you know, Danny tells her to stay away from this initial battle, and then she gets injured in a battle mid-season, but then she's there at the end with the sword. Oh, man, she's so stunning. Oh, stick. <laughs> I need to watch the original Iron Fist. God damn it. Where's the fist? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, the problem was I had no interest in Iron Fist. I watched this. I thought these guys were great, and then I started watching Iron Fist. I thought it was terrible. It's just not well done. It's not like this. I'm in. I'm, I'm so in. I mean, through watching a, a handful of Iron Fist Season 1, a handful of Iron Fist Season 2, I haven't liked almost any of it because it's just the writing and the tone. But you put him with these guys and the Defenders with this all-star writing and directing team, this is great. This this is it. This is it. We were teased a whole bunch of this leading up to it. And as I was saying, you have to tease some of the best parts in the early parts of these movies and TV shows to get people interested. It's all about not just it's about just not giving us everything. Oh, here we go. Look at this filming right here. I know who you are. They're filming right in on Finn Jones' face. They're saying, parents, you can hear the clicking. You know it's Sigourney Weaver before she even shows up. She just kind of saunters in, touches his shoulder, Mr. Rand. Okay, so I'm not watching any further than episode six, guys, in my rewatch. I want to do it with you guys. Because he is a key to something, and they want to capture him alive and not dead for some specific reason, which I forget. It's a nice plot twist, a nice plot twist and I'm looking forward to seeing it. So these guys are all just thugs at the board meeting here. <laughs> oh boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They know how to write for JJ. That's the thing. You, like with Joss Whedon, you know, Joss didn't write any of the solo movies, but he knew how to write as well or better. Oh, he breaks the camera for all the all the characters in their own movies. As I always say, Tony Stark is, does way better in the Avengers movies than in his own films. Human trafficking. He's so naive. He can't understand what's going on here. They're all just waiting to take him down. And that's why he needs to get humbled by his own teammates many times, actually, to learn what's really going on. Right. Right. She says, it looks like we're hiding, but they are actually hiding over many hundreds and thousands of years behind shell companies and, and shadow governments. Mm-hmm. Oh, man. We're almost here. We're almost there. I am the immortal Einfest. This is what sold me. Just say it. I'm fulfilling my destiny. Yeah. Kunlun, she knows it. Uh-huh. Uh-uh, which is, it's destroyed. I think he's the final Iron Fist, right? Uh-huh. Right, he lost his parents. Colleen lost her life. I, I, I don't know the backstory, but they saw it through performance. It's a testament to their skill. Oh. 
These character actors are great. They're doing their own stunts. Whoa. Daredevil can hear it. <laughs> it steals the scarf. Oh, yeah. Oh, this is great. I mean, there's not much I can say about this because we saw some, a lot of this in the trailers, but seeing it play out in real time in the heart of the story it, it is just glorious. Mm-hmm. This time. You needed a reason for them to not want to kill one of them, and he's the perfect one. Right, so they've got, yeah, they've got batons, they've got stun guns. Here we go, baby! Here we go! Woo! Oh, yeah, baby. <laughs> He's already fighting better. I know Finn Jones wants to do as many stunts as possible. You know, I mean... That's the thing. Some of the best karate masters on the planet are not large guys. Look at Jackie Chan. You can do it. It's all about momentum, force, velocity, changing directions, redirecting other people's force into the, you know into them or into other people. And they rushed Iron Fist season one. I'm not making excuses, but. Uh, for whatever happened, here it comes. By the time he gets, yeah, baby. Oh, <laughs> yeah, you, me, <laughs> yeah. It's it's perfect. Luke Cage has to be the first one to come in to help him. <laughs> Punching's okay now. <laughs> it's complicated. <laughs> yeah. Oh, here they go. The immortal Iron Fist of Luke Cage, baby. He's taking the bullets. He's doing the karate. Yeah. Uh-huh. I don't understand comic book nerds who don't love this shit. Oh, here comes the fist. He's got the scarf. Oh, this is great. Uh, people don't understand how brilliant this gag is. We go on an extended journey of him running up the stairs, <laughs> and she takes the elevator. <laughs> You're looking like an asshole. It's your scarf. Oh, yes. This is an unbelievable extended, not a one-shot that looks like a one-shot. Hello. Hey, guys. Jessica, Luke, how you been? Long story. Aw. I love these two. Who's he? Wait, there's one coming. Something else. Yeah. Oh, I thought that was Danny that said that, but it would make sense that Murdoch was the one to detect it. She's so torn... Yeah. Sigourney Weaver's working better on me in each rewatching. God. Oh, Elodie Young. Oh, my God. And because Matt's blind, it takes a while for him to realize this. Uh-oh. I love that. Uh-oh. We never hear... We never hear Jessica like that. Uh oh. Oh shit. What's great is Jessica take, uh, picks her spots. Oh, Murdoch through the glass. Mm. 
God, this is beautiful. And they don't recognize each other for completely different reasons. I'm taking photos while I'm watching this, guys. God. She's so stunning. This is the whole Seraph, you know, Matrix related. You don't really know a man until you fight him. Does he hear the breathing here? Yeah, he's got the breathing coming up. Mm-hmm. Here it comes. Mm-hmm. He knows immediately it's her breath. Oh, God, it's so cool. Daredevil's such a cool character. Oh, the Iron Fist! Oh, straight through the sword and through Electra. This is when they start questioning her. She she gets paralyzed temporarily because of Matt Murdock talking to her. And this is the beginning of the doubt. Who are you people? Here they go. Boom! Is that it? Oh! <laughs> oh, man. I can't wait to do the next episode of the Chinese restaurant. I mean, each of these episodes just keeps topping the previous one in different ways. They all are so memorable. Yeah. I'm really liking this, guys. I hope if you're with me still, you can at least appreciate that this is an underrated series. And I don't know what people are expecting. I just look at these four together and you add in Colleen and it's just brilliant. Thank you for joining me. I'm going to take a quick break and jump into Royal Dragon episode four. You guys have been amazing as always. I have been the Bizzle as always. May the force be with you. And for now, the Bizzlecast is out.